You're listening to the David Bumble Networking Podcast. Very good day interviewing a lot of Cisco engineers. We discuss all things networking, CCNA, CCNP, CCIE, Python, automation, the books, the exams, the future, your career. Another long day at Cisco Live. We talk to the authors, the experts, the leaders, and people like you and me. David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom. Now, here's your host, David Bumble. Everyone, it's David Bumble coming to you from Cisco Live in Barcelona. And I'm really happy to have Stuart Clark with me. But Stuart, you go by a better name than that. So will you introduce yourself and tell us a bit, a bit about yourself? Sure. So I go by the name of Big Evil Beard on Twitter. Um, I work for Cisco DevNet. I've been with Cisco for eight years and I've been with uh, Cisco DevNet for around 18 months now. I focus on network automation at service provider level. Mostly my specialities and interests lie around the sort of open source network with Python. So Stuart, that's great. Um, when we were talking earlier about this interview, you mentioned open source networking or open source, but I got confused by that term. So could you explain what you mean by that? Sure. So what I mean by open source is, is using uh, Python libraries such as Napalm, uh, NetMeco, Nornai, uh, and the likes to control your network. I'm a big fan of uh, unified APIs um, to control um, and automate network and to get those work processes working better. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, it's funny. I... Um you hear a lot of guys talking about APIs yeah. and Cisco saying use APIs. But you know, let's be honest, a lot of people in the real world don't necessarily have the newest equipment, don't have Nexus devices as an example. So are you saying something along the lines that these open source software platforms help people who don't have the newest APIs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you might have some old, you know, catalyst switches or something like that within your network that don't have an API or some routers that don't have the API. So if you're using Python libraries to do your automation on those, it makes that job a little bit easier. And when, you're, you, when you've got devices which have APIs, like Nexus as well, you can take advantage of those. So you might have a mixture of devices. It might be even a different mixture of vendors in there, which use a number of different uh, connectors to that. So you could take something like Juniper, which you could connect with NetConf, or you could connect to your legacy devices with SSH, which we're really familiar with in the network community, to be able to automate and abstract that data from your devices. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, you've mentioned some, some libraries. Um, which are your favorite ones and which ones would you recommend people use if they're starting out? I think Napalm's a really good one. Um, when I was working with a different team at Cisco, um, a new team joined us, um, which was the Cisco Umbrella team. And those guys were experts in the Napalm library and they really showed me how powerful this could be. So Napalm quickly became my favorite. And then I kind of followed that up with Nornai and PyATS. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned PyATS because I've just learned about that here at Cisco Live because it was something internal to Cisco, I believe. Um, it's now been available for a year, I think, but I don't know the details. So could you tell us a bit about PyATS? Sure. So PyATS acts as a, um, a validation uh, for your software or your automation, shall I say. So there was a time when I was doing um, network automation where we'd actually automate the process and push the changes out to the devices, but then we'd log in with the CLI to actually do the validation, which kind of seems a little bizarre, really, because you know when you start doing automation, the first things that you start doing is kind of the, the readme and the getting the information back, just to get you know your kind of feet wet and to get that low-hanging fruit out. And then you do the automation, you're pushing devices and changes out there. So, for example, the first project that I really automated was um, adding BGP peers because we had a lot of peering points globally around the world and managing BGP peers can be a sometimes full-time job. 
So we'd make that change with the automation, but then we'd log in and do the sort of the, you know, the show commands that we're all familiar with, like show BGP neighbors. So using software like PyATS, we can actually embed that software into the Python code for us so that we can see the results back. And if that result isn't what we want it to be, the automation will then roll back the process. Yeah, so let's step back for a second. You mentioned BGP. Um, so tell us a bit about you know, where you came from, because you were working at an ISP, I believe, in the, in the UK. But just give us a bit of, you know, history, what you did and, um, you know, how you got into network automation. You know, were you a traditional network engineer, that kind of thing? So, yeah, I started out as a traditional network engineer. I started out in the tier, tier one and tier two space um, of answering the phones and logging network tickets and then going on to doing the faults. I got a little bit more responsibility in there. I got handled, you know, various kind of projects and things like that. And then I moved slightly curveball and went from ISP world into enterprise. But really the enterprise, what I found was a lot of layer two. And I was more interested in the layer three kind of stuff. That was the really thing that, you know, really got my juices flowing. And I really loved BGP. Yeah. So I moved back into the service provider area again. And this time I went into an even bigger service provider that had a lot of peerings, a lot of data centers, a lot of big customers. So I then started to get really intricate with all the sort of really cool, sexy BGP stuff. I moved from the ISP into Cisco and the business unit that I was doing within Cisco was looking for people with that service provider experience. And it seems really cool as you're going along in your journey because as you start out you kind of start on the small networks and then you start on the bigger networks. But the bigger the networks get you suddenly realise that you have to start to remove some of that human element from there. And this is when we, I started to look more at automation and how automation could help me you know, to start with, just get that low-hanging fruit and start to help me do my day-to-day -day job. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because, you know, if you've got a small network of like two or three devices, I don't know if you agree, but like automation doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. But as you get bigger and bigger, it's more and more important to do automation. So, you know, just give us your thoughts on that. And, you know, how did you transition then from just being network guy to learning all of these you know technologies so we started on a, a quite a simple process where we were deploying a new data centers pretty much every week and we had a data center team going around the world into different places but what happens is is that when you're building these sites kind of one by one by one by one the original sites begin to change because teams start to put in requests and soon we get you know what we call refer to as template drift and you know your SIRE team and your MonOps team are constantly making changes, your templates get updated, but then when the new site goes live, the new site doesn't have what the original sites do because your templates aren't being up to date. So we moved into a more of a source control environment which stopped that, but then also looked at doing automation then to push out the new uh, sites built off the source control. And it's a really difficult journey because as a non-programmer, the first thing I dabbled with was Ansible to start with. And then after Ansible, then I moved into sort of uh, more Python because I was interested in Python, but I didn't want to jump into it straight away because I had that almost fear factor that it was going to be more complicated than I envisioned it. So I wanted to start off with something that I think is a little more familiar to network engineers like Ansible. Stuart, we were talking about how you move from, you know, traditional network engineer and then I think you said you were learning Ansible and then you went to Python, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I started with Ansible and then I, I, I pretty much moved on to Python after that. And um, so were there any reasons why you decided to leave Ansible? It, is, was Ansible too limiting or was it something else that made you go to Python? 
No, it was because we merged with another team. Um, uh, the teams that I was working on at Cisco, two teams came together and I got to work with some real Python experts and they'd already built their network out using Python, they'd done it really successfully at a really big global scale and they were prepared to sit down with our team and really help us learn those much needed Python skills and help us um, sort of transition that uh, sort of like sort of finger defined network again into sort of like a more automated network. So let's step back then to what we spoke about originally. So. What was the term you used? Was it open networking or open software? Open source networking, yeah. So the team that I started working with were big users of Napalm and big users of Python. Um, they'd had a great success of using Napalm and open source networking to fully automate their network stack across the globe. Um, so this is what really led the interest into me to working in it because it was, a, it was kind of a living, breathing example of how you take your network from you know, uh, doing everything by hand to actually automating it through a period of time. So if, if I was if I'm new to to this network automation, network programmability, whatever we want to call it thing, um, what would you recommend I start with? I think that you know the, a, a lot of people kind of tend to start with either NetMeco or PowerMeco. Um, for, for me, the one that I used the most was Napalm back in, the, back in the early days. I found that was quite intuitive to kind of work with and things like that. Things really kind of sat well and nested with me. It's, it's been designed by with network engineers in mind to, to help them get over that sort of first hurdle of network automation. Um, it was then I looked at Nornai and PyATS after that. And then I started to look at other uh, Python libraries like Behave and Cucumber and things like that. And just to explore the flexibility of these to see if they could bring, bring me any more sort of benefits to my day job so so which one would you recommend because you meant like three or four there yeah. is non-nai the one or is it just it depends really personally i would i don't think one one size really fits all so at the moment i'm mixing napalm with non-nai at the minute that's my favorite at the minute they're my two go-to's so, so what's the difference between and i don't even know how to pronounce it right non-nai and napalm Sure. So I look at it this way in that uh, Napalm is the kind of the connector to the device. You're using the drivers within Napalm to actually connect to your network devices. Nornai will then do the, the validation piece for you off the back of that. So, so is Nornai like Ansible for Python or what, what, what is it? Yeah, there has been that sort of mention. I have seen that mentioned in sort of like the network to code sort of um, in the Slack rooms and things like that, um, where people have kind of started to move away a little bit from Ansible onto using Nornai as well. It does look sort of very sort of similar as the flow and the process is coming through. Um, so it, it does have that sort of commonality between the two. So Stuart, I mean, a question that I often get is, you know, I'm new to networking. I'm studying for CCNA, perhaps CCMP. I look at all this network automation stuff and the programmability stuff and I just think what's the point in getting certifications? Should I just go straight into network programmability or, or whatever? What do you what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think there's a, you know, people tend to think that, you know, the network engineer might go away or the CLI has gone away. I can really assure people it really, really isn't. You know, there's been times where automation hasn't been able to save me. You know, I've been troubleshooting, uh, you know, a line card issue or something like that. And it does mean I have to go in there and use those raw CLI skills to get that information back to actually see what the problem is. You know, you have to go right down into the sort of the control plane of the device and really look at it and see, see what it's actually doing. So those skills are never going to go away. And I do get asked this a lot at DevNet with a lot of people that attend, they say, I've done my CCNA, should I go on and do my CCNP? You know, this was the, the kind of like the linear path that we were all following for so many years. 
And I say, you know, you don't want to really discard getting to that professional level or that expert level of, of network because that will always be the requirement. But you should really always broaden your skills. You know, I don't think you can have enough skills, enough tools on your tool belt these days. When you look at the job market and how the, the, the role has sort of like changes, network engineers, you kind of see that these things, uh, network automation and coding skills, used to be a, a desirable yeah. on some of the applications. And now it's almost a must-have. You know, so I think it's good to learn these things. And you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a dev guy. You don't have to really know deep down exactly how Python works. You just have to know how to do your network job by using the modern day tools such as Python. So another thing is, you know, I, I spoke to Eric yesterday and I asked him this question. I'm going to ask you the same kind of thing. And I'm just going to phrase it, you know what I hear. Network automation, network programmability is a fad. It's just hype what what's your answer to that the great the, the real comparison that i do to, to to this is that when i was doing my ccna i started with the 801 track and then i went to the 802 and the difference between them removing that like, token ring and frame relay and things was they introduced ip6 into 802 and everybody once someone actually said to me don't learn ipv4 subnetting learn ipv6 because ipv6 is a dead duck and they actually used that phrase to me uh, and you look at how IPv6 has, has moved on, it's not progressed as, as quickly as people yeah. really wanted it to. Because we've had other things happen, like containers and VMware and, and that kind of stuff, virtualization, has really, it has really taken over. A number of years ago, I think you could have safely sat back and said, I'm going to see what happens with this network automation. I'm going to ride it out and see if it's a fad. But it's not a fad. It hasn't gone away. If anything, it's becoming more and more relevant. And you'll always get those people who don't want to learn it. And honestly, if you don't want to learn network automation, that is fine. No one's forcing you to do this. But as our careers evolve, as network engineers evolve, network automation will really take its place up there with your key skills. Would you say that it's a requirement today for a network engineer to learn network automation, network programmability or something like that? I'll put it to you this way, on the last team that I was looking at, we were looking for strong network engineers with, I would say, medium to strong automation skills. So it is becoming that more of a requirement. And now back in the day, I think that when I was sitting uh, interviews for like network engineers, when I was trying to break into that, Mainly they sat around and asked you questions, you know, they asked you about BGP and they asked you about OSPF. I've now, and we're holding these, when we hold interviews ourselves for our team and on other teams that I've been on, we're asking them the same questions, but after that we're actually then giving a small um, coding test as well, oh, wow. just to see if the coding skills, and it's not whether they can complete the challenge on there, it's the way that the thinking works and whether the process works. And that's what you're really looking for. Because if you can get the process right in your head, then you can just learn the steps that it would take to actually get this to work. Okay, so to summarize, you're saying that network automation is not a fad or network programmability. It's something you should learn if you want to progress in your career. Um, so I know you in, you're on the DevNet team. So is there any sort of course or anything that you'd recommend someone takes or where, where do they start? For sure. So we've curated the tracks on DevNet, for, so you can pretty much go from zero to hero. We have the tracks which are 
are designed for network engineers to actually start with source control, start with, start with Ansible and start with Python, and then they can sort of build those up. And we accumulate those into tracks and modules. So you could complete the track if you wanted to, or you could just go into the modules and select the ones that actually interest you and kind of build your own track. And then you can get all the hands-on experience with the sandbox. Let me ask you, did you ever have a home lab in your area? You mean like at my house or yeah. like a Cisco lab? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I had one. It sat next to the TV. It was in a 40U rack, 20 Cisco uh, 2811s, 635 60s, and yeah. it sat there. That's there. It, 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 it had a huge power spike in yeah. my thing, and that's how I got all of my hands-on. But now DevNet has the sandbox. So everything's virtual and it's in the cloud, if I might say. Yeah. So you can go through the learning labs on DevNet and then just log into the sandbox and take your time with all the sort of the routers and the automation to actually build those skills up. You no need to have that go, you know, trawl through eBay and find those secondhand routers and build that home lab anymore. Yeah, I think that's that's a great thing about DevNet and the resources available today. Yeah. Anyone can access this stuff remotely, get access to the free labs, and follow the tracks. So, Stuart, a question that that I, I get asked and I think you probably get asked a lot is like how many languages should I learn I've heard about different kinds of languages that in programming for network automation you know how many languages and what's your favorite so I think that you know bash and Linux is a really good starting base for you know I think you have to know that I came from a Windows background and the guys that came from a Linux background I know found getting into programmability just that little bit more easier so I, I had to kind of go through that right of passage of learning that sort of like the Linux shell and the bash thing. And then I went into Python a lot. And I think Python is pretty much still the number one language out there that most people are learning. You know, people sort of like said in, uh, a little while ago that network engineers had overlearned Python already and they'd moved on to other languages like Java. But I really haven't seen that myself. As I've gone through that sort of Python learning process, I got my Python to a, you know, I'd like to think of a good standard. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable using it now. I had that sort of penny drop moment. Yeah. And then I started to then look at uh, Golang. And I found Golang kind of really interesting. But because I'd had those Python concepts quite embedded into me from, from learning Python, I found actually learning the next language like Golang just that little bit easier because I had that comparison. I had the comparison to learn to say, this is how you do it in Python. And the course that I was doing at the time and looking at the materials and the documentation from Golang would say, if you are using Python, you're used to doing it this way. However, in Golang, you will now do it this way. This is the kind of the trade-off. So it's kind of like learning, you know, a language like French and then learning a language like Spanish. You kind of learn the trade-offs between the two and the differences. So you, in other words, you know, just so that everyone knows, Go, or, well, why don't you explain that? What is Go or Golang? And um, in your experience, what's the differences between that and, say, Python? Um, Golang was developed by Google, and they started to roll it out pretty much across all of their infrastructure. And from the documents that I read, they wanted it to pretty much be a, a, co a language which could be used across all of the infrastructure. When we think about things like Puppet and Chef and Ansible and, I guess, Python, that started off from configuring servers and the likes. But when they started building uh, Golang, they wanted that to be like across the net, you know, the entire stack. They wanted the application guys using it, they wanted the server guys using it, and they wanted the network guys using it as well. Um, it's a very much an OOP language, so it's very much structured like Python. You still get the variables and the lists and things. But when you look into the languages, there are in the language itself there are some kind of slight differences where you know you create that sort of um, uh, a variable, and where in Python you can re reuse that variable and rename it later down the line. In Go, you can't do that. So there are a sort of slight differences 
you know, within that language. Your print statements kind of remain sort of the same and some of your, you know, the tabs and, and the spacing, you know, within the language itself and the overall structure when you look at it looks very, very familiar because it is really a Pythonic language. So, so just to summarize, um, you would recommend Python as the first language, not Go? I would recommend the first language, uh, Python, to start with rather than Go. I think that Python has that little bit more, sort of more maturity, that sort of more support in the community for learning Python. Um, the Python libraries are obviously really handy. You know, there's been times where I've done something within Python, for example, and then I've gone about it the long way. Like, for example, this happened to me the other day. I've been using pretty tables to get my outputs to make them look really nice, yeah. you know, to actually format all of that sort of data structure as it comes out, taking that raw information and putting it into pretty tables. And then somebody said to me the other day, have you used tabular? And I said, I've never used tabular. And they said, it's like pretty tables, but it's just much easier to use. So I had a quick look at the documentation and they were right. So you kind of don't really have to, you know, do all the hard work, all the heavy lifting yourself. You can import these libraries and that will do all the heavy lifting for you. And I think Python has just the edge on that right now to be able to do that. Now that's great. I mean, I'm going to ask you a question that's quite tough because I'm going to ask you to predict the future. <laughs> <laughs> so just give us your opinion. Where, where do you see things going in the next few years for network guys? I'm going to go out on a limb. I really, really am going to go out on a limb. As we've seen tracks evolve, like the Cisco certifications and things like that evolve over the years, I think APIs and programmability are, are going to start to creep into these. Now, whether we go down having a separate track, you know, like we had CCNA for security, or whether we actually create separate independent tracks, which are all about programmability, that's really yet to be seen. However, I do suspect that through those lower level certifications and right through to the CCIE, they will start talking about APIs soon. I really think that's going to happen because I think that's going to become an integral part of this and how that data is then abstracted from the devices. I think that's going to be the next sort of thing that's going to come down the line. And so I don't think you might have to actually separate your learning here. I think the two will really nicely tie together because the industry will recognize that this is part and parcel of the network engineer today that's wanting to get into network engineering that they need to marry the two together. You know, it's really interesting talking to you because basically you saying that being a network engineer today means doing programming or well, not like serious programming, but doing network automation and network programmability. And, you know, the way that you're coming across about like this might come into a track, um, it sounds like this is real, it's not going away, this is going to happen, it's something just to embrace or be left behind. I don't know if it's a case, a case of left behind because for me being left behind might sound, sound a little harsh and I think that can increase the fear in people. Yeah. You know, I had this myself. I had, to, I, had to make that, I had to make that, I had to make that jump into learning programmability and it's hard. And it's not just, you know, people at say my level, your level and things like that. I used to work with this uh, a guy on my last team. He was one of the most knowledgeable network engineers I knew. He had all of the certifications. He was better than a book. He was faster than Google. If I had a problem with the IGRP or OSPF, it was just easier to turn to him and ask him than rather go through the book and Google. And the good thing about it was he could actually show me and explain to me in a terms that I understand. I didn't have to pass that information as I was, I was looking through this. And I watched him try, um, try, I watched him begin to learn programmability. Now he was the go-to guy in our organization. He knew the network inside and out. He knew everything that was going on. He knew how the packets passed. He knew the flows. He knew how things sat. 
But watching him learn pro programmability was a really humbling experience for him. He had to go from being that guy that knew everything to that guy that knew nothing. Yeah. You know, fortunately, he was that kind of guy that would do that. He, he, would, he would be prepared to let programmability kick his ass. I think you've hit it on the head there. I mean, if you humble, well, let me put it this way. I think it's adapt or die in this industry. If you don't want change, then this is not the right industry. And it's really good to hear that, you know, that you've seen that. And did he succeed in, in his learning? I spoke with him the other day. He's relocated countries a couple of times since I spoke with him. And he's, uh, he's doing really, really well. Most of his tasks now he's doing with automation, which is really amazing to see. And he's put some of the things up on Code Exchange as well, this uh, DevNet Code Exchange, and some of the examples on that. And I have to say, his work is actually really now impressive. You know, it didn't come to him overnight. It didn't come to me overnight. Yeah, you know? not to me either. No, it, it really, really didn't. I started playing uh, guitar when I was like 13 and stuff. And the only way that I got, about, got good at playing guitar was spending three hours a night practicing. And you have to do that. You have to be that little bit disciplined. Do an hour a day and just do it until it keeps sinking in. Just do it, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And then eventually the penny just drops. And then the next thing you know, you're explaining to your colleagues how it works. And then when you, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In pit and... Uh, impeach, impeach that information onto impeach is maybe the wrong word. No, impeach is the wrong word. Impair. Uh, uh, pass the information along. Yeah, something something, like but that. yeah. When you pass that information along to somebody else, then you realise how much you've actually learned and how far your journey's become. Because then you're passing it on to somebody else, and that's often the best way. Some of the greatest moments I've had in the last year has been passing that on to people who come to the DevNet yeah. things. By re repeating that information and teaching other people about these things, I've learned so much myself. I think it's really important, you know, you learn more by teaching. Um, if you teach others, you learn more. But I just wanted to make that point. I think a lot of network guys find networking easy, perhaps, because it's ingrained, but they've gone through that pain already. And like you mentioned here, you have to go through the pain of learning this new thing. Yeah, you have to go through the pain. We didn't start the CCNA and we didn't learn about MPBGP or we didn't learn about multi-area RSPF. We learned that a little bit later in our careers. And this is the same way. So the way that I looked at it when I started to learn it was, I didn't learn all about networking in the CCNA. I had to go through years of hands-on. I had to go through lots more certification to actually get that knowledge you know, right up there and stuff. And it's the same with automation. Start at the beginning and then just work your way through it. You're not going to make it in day one or day two or even a week or maybe even the first year. But that really doesn't matter. It's about enjoying learning something new. And as engineers, we love learning things, something new. Yeah. That's brilliant, Stuart. I know you have to go. So just want to say thanks very much. It's great to talk to you. Thank you, David. Thanks for your time today. Enjoy, guys. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Be sure to visit David's YouTube channel at David Bumble, where you can subscribe and watch all of his videos. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Catch you next time on the David Bumble Networking Podcast. All the best. Take care.